Welcome to Shuvra Deb with you. In this show, you will hear discussions and interviews on topics to do with mental health, self-development, spirituality, and ways of tuning in to your highest potential in order to live happy and fulfilled lives. I am your host, Shuvra Deb, and I am a former English law barrister and international corporate litigation attorney. In 2017, I had a very real experience of trauma after a Category 5 hurricane, which led me to develop post-traumatic stress disorder. Whether it's mental health issues with which you're struggling or you're trying to live a life filled with purpose, I am here to help you. Hello everyone and welcome back to Shuvra Deb with you, where I help you to look after and prioritize your mental health and that of those you love and care about. So as you all know, I have this show and sometimes it's just me speaking about sometimes some pretty serious mental health topics. Other times I speak about spirituality and self-development and other times, excitingly, I have guests on my show. And today I am so happy and I'm so excited for this chat. I am joined by I.E. Harvey, who um, I met actually quite randomly in a cosmetic shop in, yes. <laughs> in Kamana Bay. <laughs> yes, we did, yes. And we just got chatting and I was just so taken by you, I because, you know, you just have this amazing zest for life. And oh, thank you. you said to me that you're a mental health nurse. Yes. So <laughs> immediately I thought, wow, this person's going to have so many amazing things to talk about and so much experience that, you know, the listeners may not be aware of from your side of the job of what you do. So please just introduce yourself and tell the listeners what you do and what inspired you to practice as a mental health nurse. And of course, you're in the UK. I didn't say that. You're here on vacation. You're yes. in the UK. Yes, yes. <laughs> I'm based in the UK. Um, yes. Yeah, so my name's Ai. Um, I've worked in mental health for 10 years now. Um, I've been a qualified mental health nurse for seven of those years. I currently work in forensic mental health, which I have done since I qualified. Um, what is forensic mental health? So forensic mental health is when you're working with individuals who have committed an offence or are at risk of committing an offence. Mm -hmm. So where I work is a medium secure hospital in the UK and we take people that have either committed a crime whilst they're mentally unwell yeah. or people that have committed an offence, they're currently serving time in prison mm -hmm. and they have become unwell in prison. Mm. Uh, we also have uh, individuals who may not have committed an offence but have been deemed to be a risk to themselves or others or yeah. a significant risk to themselves or others whilst they are mentally unwell. Yeah, gosh. So my job is to help support, advocate and rehabilitate patients and try and get them back out into the community. Yeah, and what are some of the things that you do? I mean, that's a very broad question, yes, yeah. very broad question. But if you had to pick, I suppose no, no two days in your job are ever gonna be the same. No. But if you had to pick, say, three things that you find yourself doing the most in supporting, advocating and rehabilitating, what, what would they be? Okay, so um, number one would be medication. Mm -hmm. um, so it's my job to provide medication, administer medication, um, provide information on medication as well to patients and their families as yeah. well. Um, that's a big part of the job, you know. Um, taking medication for a lot of people is a big deal. Yeah. And rightly so. 
because there are side effects. Mm. Um, so it's about educating people on the risks and the benefits of taking medication. So that mm. that is a vital part of yeah. my job. To manage the symptoms. Yes, yeah. as well. Yeah. Yes, um, that's really key, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and trying to maintain compliance mm. um, with people taking their medication because there are such horrible side effects with some that mm. people just don't want, would rather just go without. So yeah. it's just about education and administrating medication as well so that's one of my main roles mm-hmm. um and part of that is monitoring physical health yeah um because obviously there are side effects that could be um high risk yeah so um we do physical observations you know just monitoring people some medications you need to monitor straight away mm-hmm. some prior to administrating so yeah. making sure that that is maintained throughout the day monthly however regularly we need to do that Mm -hmm. and reporting back to the medics as well yeah um where there are concerns the next important role i would say is just observing patients like the role of the mental health is to observe behavior as well yeah so we try not to do it in such a clinical practice where maybe we're on one side of a, of a glass and we're yeah. just staring at yeah, them. Yeah, like you know. the one-way glass or something. Yeah, that's mm. not helpful to mm. anyone. You're not going to mm. get very much information. So, no. we And they'll probably know because they know that the one-way glass is there and the energy will be there. You feel someone's eyes on you yes. even if you can't see them. Absolutely. You know. And if you know you're being watched, mm. you're going to change your behaviour. Of course. So we work with them so we play games with them we coordinate Mm. activities throughout the day just to help them feel more comfortable as well and it is about rehabilitation so we're observing but we're also supporting Mm -hmm. um encouraging them as well you know some people who suffer really um bad negative effects of their mental health their motivation is very low so you know we're there to help maintain that you know encourage people to let's make your bed um let's make breakfast together you know what do you want for breakfast so we do we support patients with that we call it activities of daily daily living mm-hmm. um yeah that, sometimes i mean that can be the biggest accomplishment yeah, exactly the whole make your bed thing make your bed mm. make breakfast mm-hmm. you know food is so important yeah i think one thing i've learned in my job is that when people have so much taken away from them food mm. might be the only thing that they really have control over yeah um, and that's a really important thing so supporting people to make breakfast it could be simple as making a bowl of cereal to making a fry up yeah um just supporting them with that supporting them with their artwork their hobbies hobbies are very important when people are in hospital Mm -hmm. Um, it gives them an escape yeah something to focus on yes gets their creativity going i mean even when they're not in hospital exactly yeah. yeah so helping people build on that okay um you know we provide a lot of treatment as well yeah and that can be very intense Uh so supporting them with the hobbies helps alleviate the stress yeah balances it out yes you're talking just now off air you were talking about music therapy music yeah tell me a bit about that and what we found is that a lot of our patients who particularly come from prison Mm -hmm. have uh are heavily influenced by music Mm -hmm. and the longer time they spend in hospital and the better they become the more the creative side begins to show and that wow. they tend to like to tell their s- tales through their music mm-hmm. and art mm. so during covid we noticed that this was something that was really helping them get through 
the period of COVID, not being able to be see their families as yeah. much as they would. Yeah, and course. so we really invested in that, and we, um, with the support of the patients, we you know we went online and mm-hmm. we found all the equipment that we could to make our own studio. Amazing! Recording you just set equipment. that up yourself? Yes, we did. Wow! Yeah, <laughs> we try our best to build on the skills that we have already in house. So if there's anybody Super. that is good at writing music could they support the patients with that anyone who's good with creating um, beats or yeah. anything like yeah. that so anyone who's no knows how to operate yeah. a te- the technical side exactly, of the studio yeah, yeah. <laughs> and a lot of our patients you know they've had lives before they've come into hospital course, yeah. and they're very capable of doing these things as well so it was very much led by them telling us what they wanted we had yeah. a lot of musicians yeah. guitarists p- pianists wow um, yeah, and so we've got a purpose-built studio. We've got, mm. you know, over 100 instruments mm-hmm. in there. Mm-hmm. And they form their band. Uh, they take it in turns. They take their time and they yeah. produce their own music. And it is really wonderful, actually. Yeah. And do you find, because they're storytelling, they're able to get their story out, I suppose. And perhaps they do the patients feel a sense of catharsis, do you think, from doing that? Absolutely. I mean, you can see the difference um, from patients that have maybe been there a bit longer from when they first started to the type of music that they make to the type of music now and them telling their story. And it's so interesting because particularly patients that struggle to open up, Mm -hmm. you know, they really tell their story in their music, Mm -hmm. um, whereas they wouldn't feel comfortable having those conversations in a one-to-one situation or in a group setting. Yeah. Um, So, you know, we have patients who have told you know their family history how they ended up in the situations that they've ended Mm. up to how much they feel so much better now Mm. how hospitals help them and they really put that into their music and that's that's something that's helped us understand them as well because part of the treatment is us get having a detailed understanding of the individual as a whole from Mm. birth to to now that's incredible and that warms my heart so much to hear you say that Mm. treat treat the person holistically rather than just absolutely. put a band-aid over over whatever symptom it might be absolutely one thing we know in forensic mental health is that we need to look at the person as a whole mm-hmm. there's no point trying to deal with um, somebody say with schizophrenia and why it happened then we need to go back and figure out what's happened before mm-hmm. because what we know is that people are often triggered later on in life by things that have happened right. earlier on in life right gosh and so, you have so to it lies latent and then yeah. something will happen and that will be the trigger yeah wow. or historically um some patients may have had nothing happen in the past but it's hereditary Mm, of course. Um, so it is about looking at the whole picture. What are the family dynamics? What was going on at the time? What was the mm. period of time? Just l- really looking at every, pulling at every thread, trying mm. to figure out mm. how could this have happened so that we can go forward and say, how can we stop this from happening yeah. again? I'm going to come on to your third thing in a minute, but before yeah. we move on from this, are you the only guys that do this or is, is this kind of forensic science on mental health something that's more broad across the UK and elsewhere? Do you know? It is broad across the UK. I mean, it's try. We tried to implement it in all forms of mental health, mm-hmm. particularly in the NHS. Yeah. Um, however, in forensic mental health, we have more time. So, mm-hmm. in a standard uh, unit for mental health, I mean, the admission between admission and discharge, some patients have a week, some patients mm-hmm. have two weeks. You're not going to have a comprehensive view of an individual in that time, right? Of course. Um, and the pressures of staffing and everything else mm. it is it is kind of more patchwork mm. i mean they, we 
do try our best but mm. in smaller time constraints it's just harder whereas in yeah. forensic mental health you have a lot of time we don't tend to have patients admitted that are unknown to us we know that a patient is coming to us months in advance right four right. weeks in advance yeah. so we already yeah. have an understanding of them before they come to us That's um, we're able to go out and do assessments before we agree to take them can we actually do something for this individual mm. so we have more time to play with in order to support patients so yeah. it is it is more detailed in forensic mental health but it is something that is taught yeah. in the process of your nursing training to look at a patient holistically yeah. as best as you can and Fantastic. gather as much information. Okay, I'm going to ask you about <laughs> that now. So <laughs> anyone who's listening and, you know, this conversation may be piquing people's interest and perhaps they want to become a mental health mm -hmm. nurse, how would they go about doing that? And of course, your knowledge is going to be based on the UK because yes. that's where you've trained, that's where you work. Yes. Um, in the UK, there are several ways now to become a nurse i mean they've made it easier and easier for people mm. uh, you can go the degree route mm -hmm. uh, apply to university you would need a uh, a level or an equivalent um, they have great programs now where called access to nursing programs mm. where those who may not have maths and english can boost up their maths and english mm. skills do the course and that will take you to university straight away Amazing. you can get a job working in nursing in, in a hospital or in mental health whichever mm. um, sector of nursing you wish to go into as a support worker and they offer opportunities for support workers to progress and become nurses whilst you're being paid on the job as right. well which is a, a great I always advocate that that's probably yeah. the best way to get into nursing 100% because um, if you can't afford to exactly. train without working then how are you ever going to train right exactly mm. and at the minute now um, unfortunately if you do go the degree route you do have to pay for your own tuition mm. um, so yeah I do advocate for game experience as well I mean sometimes yeah. me personally I chose mental health after a process of elimination right. so initially I was going to be, do children's nursing okay um, and then I decided that actually that wasn't for me after working in that environment mm -hmm. and then I then wanted to do adult nursing mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. is more uh, A&E yep. working in a physical health hospital yeah and again I realized that actually that wasn't where my heart was yeah and then oh. I worked in learning disability and mental health and yeah. that was where my heart was yes. and that's when your I really call. pushed that's through. That's your calling. Yes, yeah. that's when I pushed through. Amazing, amazing. And I'm sure, well, I say I'm sure, I hope there are similar programs in the US and Canada because we do have some listeners from there too. And yeah. I suppose Google is our friend. And of yes, course, you know, Cayman absolutely. Islands, Bermuda and BVI, where I also, and Jamaica, were also <laughs> listeners. Google is your friend, yes, my friends. <laughs> yes, yes. I think if, if mental health, nursing, or any form of nursing is something that is your passion or something that you really think you want to get into, contact the hospitals, yeah. see what programs are available. Yeah. Um, volunteer. volunteer. Volunteer, absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, and just just really see what's out there because there is a worldwide shortages of nursing yeah um so there are programs yeah. out there to get people trained i mean they yeah. just can't there's not enough nurses for many people there are in the world yeah no you know? i've heard this yeah. i've heard this we're going to come back i'm going to take a quick break right now but we're going to come back and i'm going to ask you about the third thing that's your main job in your job as a mental health nurse mm -hmm. stay tuned and we'll be right back after this short break does your workplace or business need a bit of a shake-up? Are you thinking about your employees' well-being? Do you need help with team building? Perhaps communication within the team and with clients has been on your mind. 
If this sounds like it could be you, or you want some other ideas on morning, lunchtime or afternoon sessions to run in the workplace, I am here to help you. My company is called The Abundance Coach Limited, and I am available to come to your offices in person if you're in the Cayman Islands, and if you're overseas, I will meet you on Zoom. I help you and your workplace with effective communication, team building, workplace wellness, preparation for presentations, and so much more. Reach out, get in touch. Go to my website, shuvradebmentor.com, and send me a message. That's shuvradebmentor.com, spelt S-H-U-V-R-A-D-E-B-M-E-N-T-O-R.com. Go check it out, and you'll also find some helpful free articles and resources on there. These are entirely free and available to you on demand. Go to shuvradebmentor.com. Check it out. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to my show, Shuvra Deb With You, where today I am joined by the incredible Ai Harvey. Ai is a mental health nurse in um, the UK, and she works in forensic mental health. Now, just before the short break, we were talking about three of the main things that Ai does in her in her job, because no two days are ever the same. No, they're not. <laughs> so you, you've covered the first two things. So what would you say is the third? The third, um, I would say, is managing risk. Mm-hmm. So that is a very wide umbrella, to be fair, in, in how we manage risk. But it goes anywhere from managing patients in turmoil, stress yeah and man- helping them get through that mm-hmm. in a in a systematic way and also teaching them to understand their risks and how they can identify ways to reduce their yeah. risk that is the key thing i mean one thing that we really really focus on where i work is patients understanding their risks so that when they're back out in the community we can avoid yeah things that have happened in the past happening yeah. again so self-awareness like if a Absolutely. thought pattern develops or if something happens yeah. and it, it's something that could lead that person into some kind of behavior that they would rather not be doing yes so right giving people techniques i suppose yes. to listen yeah. to their own thoughts and become aware of where those thoughts might take them yes and this is some um as a nurse you know we we talk daily with our patients um yeah. and and we also work with them to help us identify their risks. So we come up with mis- risk management plans. Mm-hmm. And this is something that is not static. It's ongoing. Yeah. Weekly, daily, it's updated. They come to us and tell them how they're, how they come to us and tell us how they're feeling. Yeah. And, you know, if we feel that it, it is something that could become an issue, we add that into their risk management plan. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is how you feel. Mm-hmm. You know, we always want our patients to be honest. And I think one thing that sometimes patients feel is that if they tell us something mm. negative, mm. everything is going to be taken away from them. Mm. But actually, we praise that. Mm. You know, we praise the honesty because we can't move forward without it. No, of course. And so we encourage them to come forward. You know, if they're having negative thoughts, if they're having thoughts that are unnerving them, come to us. Talk. Let's talk about it. Let's yeah. see what's happened that's made you think that way. And let's put it down in your risk management plan. Yeah. Let's see how we can move forward with this. And it's that level of insight that has got us to a point where we can feel comfortable saying, this person can live out in the community well, exactly, and yeah. not be a risk to themselves and others yeah. because we've done the work, mm. you know, and we've done it systematically in a way that shows that when people do this, mm-hmm 
when they go out. Mm. They have a they, way of they, managing. They have a way yeah. of managing yeah. and they live, you know, a good life. And that, yes. that's our aim is always to enable patients to get out into the community and live the best life that they possibly can. Of course. You know, course. we always say from the minute that the person is admitted, we plan to discharge. Yeah. We never plan to keep anyone mm. in hospital mm. indefinitely. That is never our plan. Yeah, at it's all. rehabilitation. Absolutely. Absolutely. How can you tell if somebody's not telling the whole truth? I love this question. <laughs> I get asked this question so often. I'm sure you do. <laughs> um, it's hard to say how you can tell. I think once you've had, once you've experienced seeing people that are genuinely unwell, mm. it's hard to see somebody like you can see when somebody's faking it. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have 24-hour observation of our patients at all mm-hmm. times, you know. Mm-hmm. We work closely with them. And it would be hard for somebody to pretend f- continuously for so long. Yes, yes. It really would be. And um, don't get me wrong, we have had people that have been admitted that mm-hmm. people, you know, don't believe that maybe they are as unwell that they're portraying. But mm-hmm. we can say but there is an illness here somewhere. Mm-hmm. There is something here that isn't quite right. Yeah. Um, and it's just a process of elimination. I mean, it's not something that you can really put down on paper and yeah. say, like, there are psychotic symptoms that people have, but mm-hmm. then you could argue that somebody could mimic them. I mean, we see yes. films and TV shows well, of, of people course, portraying. Actors, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but imagine that actor having to maintain that for yeah. 24 hours a day. Well, days Daniel Day-Lewis, the ultimate <laughs> method actor, probably yeah, does maybe, when he's yeah, there's a few. in training. There yeah. are a few who do that. And the ones that do often need a, need time away yes. because they've immersed themselves yes. in it for so long yeah. yes. that they actually have almost created themselves... Into in it, being that character and in, then they have to be pulled back out of it. Exactly. Yeah. And they need therapy to remove themselves say, yeah. from it. Yeah. So there, there is always that line that, mm. that people have. But generally, That's our so doctors and our psychiatrists are very good at spotting people that aren't genuine aren't genuinely unwell before they get to us mm. um, it's very rare I mean we do have instances or the other way around where they are genuinely unwell yes. but are covering up yes. or trying to oh trying to that is what we see more often yeah. is people yeah. trying to hide mm-hmm. their illness rather than people trying to yeah. pretend that they are I mean one issue we do sometimes have is that we have people that are coming from say the prison service for a short stay yeah that could be to detox because Mm -hmm. maybe they're having psychotic symptoms from drugs Mm. or alcohol abuse or anything like that and so Mm. they will come to us we will get them back to being well Mm. and then unfortunately they then have to return back to prison yeah a lot of the time we yeah. do then see patients try and act in a way in Mm. order to prevent that from happening but we do tend to see through that but we do work with them you know to Mm. try and get them to accept that's the reality and then manage themselves in that environment because it can be quite difficult to go from a hospital environment Mm. um, that everyone's nice Mm -hmm. you know people genuinely care about you how you feel you have access to to do all of these things in a hospital and then you go back to a prison environment it's very much more sterile and yes and controlled yeah, yeah and it's not Prisons are for punishment, mm. unfortunately. Yeah. You know, I, I believe that they should be a more rehabilitative element mm-hmm. of prisons. Yeah. And they are moving forward, yeah. but it yeah. is still for punishment. Yeah. And so it's just 
supporting patients and understand that this is going to be their reality and yeah. we understand that it's difficult but this is how you can manage these situations yeah. better. that's a part of life for everybody right accepting yes. hardships as they come along and exactly. then doing our best to deal with them yes exactly that's that's all the job is really is <laughs> you make it sound managing, so simple <laughs> yeah managing life you know managing yeah. managing the obstacles of life you know mm. some some of us are given or dealt harder cards than others. Yeah. Unfortunately, that mm. that is, you know, patients always tell me it's not fair, and I always mm. try and sympathise and empathise with that thought process. But I always say to them, unfortunately, that is the way the world is. Unfortunately, yeah, life actually isn't fair. Yeah. But then, what's your assessment of fair? You're exactly. comparing yourself to somebody else's life, but that's your perception, somebody's perception of what somebody else might be going through or not going through, or not going through exactly. Yeah. And so that's one thing that I always say, and I think. Currently, the statistic is one in three people are likely to suffer with mental illness in their life. And yeah. I would argue that Probably it should more. be everyone. Yeah, I would argue the same thing. Because yeah. anyone that has a brain, which is basically every single person, has the susceptibility to suffer from a mental illness. Exactly. Unless you can say to me, you have a body and you're never going to get physically ill. Exactly. That's, you know, that's not true. So no, <laughs> why should it be not. any different for the brain, for the mind? Yeah, and stress anxiety yeah um depression loneliness yeah. these are things that we deal with all the time all the time and um so the separation i think mm. it kind of removes away from the point that we all need to look after our mental health every day it's an ongoing thing just like our physical health it's Absolutely. not something that oh okay i dealt with my depression and now i'm moving forward unfortunately your mental health is something that you have to maintain daily yeah it doesn't end i'm so glad you said that as a nurse i say that but i'm not qualified <laughs> to say that sorry glad that you said that no it's so important and i think now with social media that we're seeing more and more people um talking about mental health which mm. is great mm -hmm. um and i think that people just need to be more aware that actually we should be managing our mental health from day one yes to prevent these well i was things about to say happening. yeah if we start from day one, then I think a lot of us would be in better positions in life. Yeah, prevention is better than cure. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> so um, just going back to your patients, in terms of um, building a relationship with them, because you, know, you, you look after them very holistically, you spend a lot of time with them. How do you go about building that relationship in the first instance? So I like to let my patients lead with their hobbies what are you interested in and i try to make a connection where i can um i work most of my career i've spent time working with men mm -hmm. um so football yeah knowing about football <laughs> is a really good yeah, way yeah. um to open the door for them to feel comfortable having conversations with yeah. you um sitting and watching a tv show with them mm. and just you know eventually they'll start to open up you know oh that's interesting and yeah. things like that is a good way i've seen doctors I work with some really great psychiatrists mm. and they, the younger ones have actually started playing uh, FIFA. Have they? <laughs> yes, yeah, start playing um, Xbox games with yeah. them just as a yeah. way to remove that barrier. I think yeah. sometimes it can be very clinical yeah. and like you're the patient and I'm the doctor, you're yeah. the patient yeah. and I'm the nurse. The people in white coats and... Exactly. Yeah. Mm. And so to remove that makes people feel more comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one thing I've learned is that they don't feel open to the titles. I think once yeah. you remove that boundary, yeah. they feel more comfortable in having conversation with you. And it's, it's a tricky path 
to navigate because mm-hmm. you do need to maintain boundaries. Of course, you yeah, know? you need to maintain professionalism exactly. and objectivity and all yes. of that. But I suppose by removing some of those barriers, it makes people open up yeah. and it makes it easier to actually do the job. Yes, and you know, I I always say we're not friends. Mm. However, I'm here to support you. Mm -hmm. I'm here to advocate for you. Mm -hmm. I'm here to listen to you. Yeah. You know, and I think once you break through that barrier, some patients are more difficult than others. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it's about just being present Mm -hmm. and listening. A lot of the patients that I work with have grown up in unstable environments or never felt listened to or heard or cared for Mm. so it's just about being there you know the patients that really don't want to open up after they've seen you around for maybe a year Mm. you just constantly being that one that others can come to yeah they then see you as someone that they can come to because they're watching how you respond to others so I always I think it's very important to be mindful of how you speak to others in front of patients as well because patients are very good at knowing who's the good nurse who's the one that everyone goes to who's the one that everyone wants to speak to Mm. who's the doctor that everyone wants to be around and and they gravitate towards it just like just like any any Any, social situation any workplace environment any sports team any given situation where there are humans involved yes exactly (laughs) it's exactly the same thing and so for me, again, like I say, it's about targeting their hobbies. What can I, what can I find a common ground with them? With mm. what, what, how can I find a way into this person, with this person, and really understand what's important to them, yeah. and then build from that. So, if it is football that's important to them, okay, what can I do to help them mm. enjoy football? Mm-hmm. You know, can I? Can I speak with the sports and leisure team and see if we can get them involved in football on the, on the football field? Yeah. Um, can I get them, say if they love Chelsea, can mm-hmm. I get them an opportunity to go and watch Chelsea on the big screen yeah. in, on, in the projector room? Yeah. You know, yeah. just those small things I think patients really mm. hold on to as like yeah. you've made an effort for them mm-hmm. and then it just makes them feel like okay it's a safe space this yeah. person actually does care mm-hmm. and they're going to listen to me because they've gone out of their way yeah. to do something yeah. for yeah, me. Yeah they've listened to what is important to me and yeah. they've displayed that they care yes. and quite often what you just said before that these people some of them may have grown up where in an environment where they weren't listened to where they felt they weren't yeah. cared for you might be the first person they feel is listening to them absolutely I mean I I had a patient I worked with him for five years Mm. and when he was leaving he said something and I I really held on to it and he Mm. said you know this has been the best five years of my entire life wow and I said in hospital in hospital and he said that he has never felt safer Mm. he said he's got friends here and he said he's going to really miss being in this place where he feels so safe and comfortable and he was going out into community and he's like I'm happy I'm happy that I'm going out into community I'm ready but this has been the best five years of my life because mentally I've never felt better he goes I've just feel so good Mm. and that really stuck with me and I thought you know we really are we really are making such a difference in these in people's lives that you know this may be the best experience that they've ever ever had in their lives you know they because they've maybe not had these opportunities before Mm -hmm. or people Mm -hmm. really listened to them before and I think that's a great thing it's a wonderful thing it's a wonderful thing and it goes back to what you were saying before about the rehabilitation yeah yeah Yeah. 
Okay, so we're going to take another quick short break and we'll be right back. So stay tuned. Is your workplace, school, college, church, conference or other event looking for a speaker? Do you want someone to come and speak about mental wellness, spirituality, motivation, achievement, resilience, the climate, to name just a few topics? Or are you keen to sit down with the speaker of your event and structure a talk together, making your event one of the most successful ones yet? If this sounds like it could be you, or if you are looking for someone for a panel or fireside chat, or someone to run a workshop or seminar, then look no further. My company is called The Abundance Coach Limited, and I am available to come to you in person as a speaker for your event. Whether you're in the Cayman Islands or whether you're overseas, I will travel to you. Reach out, get in touch. Go to my website, shuvradebmentor.com and send me a message. That's shuvradebmentor.com, spelt S-H-U-V-R-A-D-E-B-M-E-N-T-O-R.com. Go check it out and you'll find some helpful free articles and resources on there. These are entirely free and available to you on demand. Go to shuvradebmentor.com. Check it out. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to Shuvra Deb with you. I am joined today by I.E. Harvey, and we are having the most amazing conversation about mental health rehabilitation. I.E. is a mental health nurse, forensic mental health nurse in the United Kingdom. I think I want to ask you, what, what are some of the mental health issues that you see? Are there certain issues that are more prevalent than others? It's interesting you ask me that because when I speak to my colleagues, we feel like there has been a lot more patients that we're seeing with personality difficulties. Uh, it's generally called personality disorder. There are several different kinds. Yeah. Um, but I think when you really look into it, it's quite a fairly new yes. d- diagnosis that's yeah. come around. And that's I don't right. know if it is we're seeing more and more people diagnosed with it, therefore they're coming into the service. Mm rather than actually people just weren't diagnosed before because we didn't know what it was. Yeah, like ADHD when that suddenly became a diagnosis. Exactly. Um, And so what we're finding is that we're having patients that are coming in um, with drug-induced psychosis Mm -hmm. as well as personality disorder, uh, schizophrenia, and then once they're overcoming the psychotic episode of their schizophrenia, Mm. they're displaying signs of personality disorder or personality difficulties as well mm. so the i would say that we're seeing more of the personality disorder mm. diagnosis mm-hmm. than anything in terms of grouping illnesses yeah. together do you find that that labeling helps and the reason i ask that is because you may i'm sure you are aware of this dr gabor mate i don't know um what you think about his work some people are divided on him mm. But he says something about the labeling and the language. So language and mental health. Saying somebody is an addict is unhelpful as against saying somebody has addiction because of all the pain they've been in and that's the only way in which they know how to deal with it. Mm -hmm. So staying with that kind of language side of it, is that helping having this kind of, I suppose, new language around these symptoms, the personality disorder? I think the problem is, is that we create a term for something and then a negative connotation is added to it. Oh yeah. So I think that's where the problem lies. Mm-hmm. So like 
for example, with personality disorder, that the is the word the disorder f- in the first place. Exactly. Dis. <laughs> disorder. It <laughs> right. sounds like, and it implies that there's a problem mm-hmm. with someone's personality in a very yeah. negative way. Mm-hmm. Whereas we're just trying to define what is happening to this individual. Yeah. Um, which is now why they're trying to move away from personality disorder to personality difficulties. Yeah. Or personality it, health or something or like personality that. Personality yeah. health. Yeah. I don't like either terminology personally yeah. and mm. in my opinion there's a spectrum. Yeah. And I think if most people did the test we'd all be on we it. We would all be on it. <laughs> I'm pretty exactly. sure I'm on it. <laughs> um so I do I do have an issue with that but obviously yeah. it is about the extremes. Yeah, it is about the extremes. Yeah. And I think that if we could move away from the terminology and focus on just supporting people holistically I do yes. understand that there is a need to to have definitions in order for data and analysis yeah and to know the type of treatment and also for communication with other professionals so when you're signing off shift and you're handing over to your your colleague or when you're talking to the doctors you have to know what you're talking about and we we try to use language that patients prefer Mm. um makes them feel less stigmatized because that's a huge thing isn't it it? the whole stigma around brain health mental health it does but a lot of people take pride in their diagnosis as well. Right. Um, yeah. And sometimes it gives people, them certainty. It gives them mm. something to mm-hmm. hold on to. This mm. is what this is what I have. Yeah. This is why these things have been exactly. happening. This is why I've been acting yes. in that way. Yeah. Particularly in family dynamics, I find that okay. they find that maybe their family has always shrugged it off. Oh, your attention seeking yeah. is is a big thing that people tend to throw out is the it's just for attention it's for this Mm. and that and I think once you have Mm. a diagnosis it almost removes that sort of negative connotation in some ways for some people and they say actually no I'm not doing this because you think that I'm just spoiled or I'm this Mm. or I'm that Mm. I have an issue Mm. you know and typically especially with people that suffer with personality difficulties is Mm. that it's generated from trauma or perceived trauma yes. in their lives. Right. Um, and I think that for a lot of them, having that and actually saying, right, so everyone has been wrong about me. There has been something I've, I've, not, been, I've not been making it up. There yeah. has been something going on yeah. inside my mind that mm-hmm. makes me behave this way. And I think that that gives people something, some hope. Yeah. Because once you know that there's an issue, yeah. you can now work on resolving it yeah and some control over the situation yes, yeah as well and, yeah and ownership right of ownership course. as well yeah you know a lot of a lot of patients take ownership with well you know you you might have to have conversations with patients about certain behaviors and their response is well i actually have this you mm-hmm. know how am i supposed to and how am i supposed to do what you're asking me to do but i have this mm. and then you can work with that and you say okay you do but we Try can this way or we can do mm. it this way yeah. or with this okay we need to work on this to get you to that yeah so it's, it's it is about helping people understand and i think the better understanding we have as a society on yes. mental health yeah. issues mm. then we can work on destigmatizing the actual illnesses and their names yeah. but i think because there's such a negative and there can be in the health in healthcare there yeah. can be negative connotations about really? certain in what way certain illnesses yeah uh, people have people have their opinions on certain illnesses yeah um and i don't like to perpetuate them 
personally. Yeah, okay. um, but well, let, let's approach it from the other angle then. So what as a society can we do beyond, you know, the conversations mm-hmm. like this that you and I are having and no doubt that you have with other people that I have with other people? What can we do as a society to destigmatize mental health? I think I, we can't expect everyone to be tuned in to mental health, unfortunately. Yep. I think we need to be more forgiving of behavior. Mm-hmm and not jumping to conclusions when people display certain types of behavior that it is for attention or is for this or it is for that Mm. and just accept that actually we are all individuals and there is no correct way to respond to certain situations some people respond negatively Mm. and some people respond positively Mm. and I think once we accept a society we're dynamic we're not monolithic we're not Mm. all the same Mm. Um, I think there would be better understanding because it is difficult. I mean, I I can't think of one way that we as a society can all come together because I think that is unrealistic. I've just thought of one, actually. Well, I don't know about the whole of society coming together, but certainly from a schooling and perhaps employer perspective, having an awareness of some of the symptoms that people might be displaying that would pertain to a certain health issue yes i mean that that is good schools i know that a lot of the schools in the uk now have mental health nurses in place great um that counseling is a offered to a lot of children these days but teaching the kids in the first place what the symptoms are so that they can recognize it in themselves and then they can recognize it in their friends in their family yes and teaching employers yes, as te- well so that they can see it in their employees. Teaching the employees so they can see it in themselves. Like basically the grown-up version of the kids. Yes. And I think we, we're very good at doing that for physical health. For example, Yes. If someone's CPR. having a heart attack, yes. yeah, they're clutching this part of yes. their body and then they're yes. feeling tingling in that part exactly. of their body. And then everyone, you know, jumps to action. Yes. But what about mental health? Yes. And I, personally, I always talk about when I was a child, and there were people that in the area that may have suffered from mental health problems and people never saw that as a mental health problem mm. people almost dismissed them in society as a as, difficult child as a difficult yeah. child or a difficult person or the, yes. that woman stay away from her yes, or that's that person right. there you know they're mm-hmm. homeless or thinking that the negative part of it and as an adult now I look back and I think that person had mental health problems yeah, you know that person needed help that person needed yeah. help always receiving help and that's just how yeah you know because people have this assumption that people come out of hospital who've had a mental illness and they're going to be the same person mm. they're not going to be the same person mm. unfortunately they're not no one is the same Mm. the person you was last year is not the person you are today the person you were yesterday you know exactly. our cells change exactly. all the time our brains our thoughts our emotions yeah. our feelings and i think as a society once we again like i said we get used to accepting that people are different you know it's like people with learning disabilities they mm. they're just different there's no right or wrong they're just different and some yeah. people with mental health issues you know yes they might talk to themselves in public but they're not harming anyone no that's that's, yeah. And they, they, some, I know a lot of people that talk to themselves and they, there's comfort in that, Yeah, you know. Yeah. So why should they what have they do. To, exactly. <laughs> so why should they have to be expected to leave hospital and remove that from them? Yeah. That is a safety blanket for some people. Yeah. Um, some people find comfort in the voices that they hear. Not all voices are bad voices. Right. Wow. Uh, and I think we as an, a society need to start to understand that rather mm. than, okay, 
I, I understand people want to proceed with caution and that's fine you can mm -hmm. proceed with caution if mm -hmm. you don't feel safe then you don't feel safe yeah. but also we need to really acknowledge that actually people present themselves in very different ways yeah. and it doesn't mean that they're dangerous and not make assumptions not make assumptions at all mm. and i think like you said in schools once people start to know and understand that every people are going to have mental health issues and that's mm. fine you know and understanding that and in the workplace as well like you say understanding that people have mental health problems are likely to get mental health problems for whatever reason yeah. and the education about what they look like I think yes. is really important yeah. what do different illnesses look like because quite often I think with mental health the person suffering from whatever issue they may have at that point in time may not realize that mm. there's a problem there yeah. Yeah. with physical health you know because there's a pain or yeah. you know a limb falls off or something like that yes exactly and you know with a broken leg a doctor can tell you within six to eight months you'll probably be healed right you can't say that yeah, in the prognosis is, you don't know yeah. it could be it could be something you have to deal with yeah something you need forever. to learn to live with yeah. and manage for and that's you know, what I many teach. months or years to come you know i always say to patients this is something that you need to manage forever yeah. it, it just is yeah. but it, it and it's not specific to them it's something we all need to manage. And the quality of it can change as well. Yes. Sometimes it's going to be easier and sometimes yeah. it's going to be harder, just like life. Right. You know, sometimes <laughs> it's going to be easier and sometimes yeah, it's some going days to, are going to be, be great. Some days are going to be not so great. Exactly. <laughs> and so I think education is just so key for everyone yeah. around how we really accept mental health mm -hmm. as a part of normal society. Yeah. Because it is whether really we like is. it or not. And it always has been, by the way. Yes. I think yeah, we didn't suddenly develop mental health yes. with you know, the turn of the century or something. Yes. We've had it as long as we've had bodies and brains. But just, I think now we're, people are ready for it to be out in the open, whereas before, you know, mm. there was asylums designed to keep people in hospital mm. out yes. and away from others. And that didn't benefit anyone. So here's, I think there's still a stigma around mm. mental health hospitals because I think the belief still is amongst many people that they are the types of places that we see in, you know, Victorian paintings and novels yes. and things. And of course, life has moved on mm. massively since then. Absolutely. Um, if you went, came into my hospital, people are very surprised at how nice it is. Mm. We try to make it as homely as we can. Yeah. Um, we have a lot of talented artists that are patients, very, very talented artists, and they paint murals. Wow. They are, you know, our patients are very, um, we, we really push for them to make the space their own. Mm. You know, so what do they want? This is their home. Yeah, you know, this yeah, they, live that's, that's, they live there. You mm. know, the average stay is you know three and a half years. This is their mm. home. How can they make yeah. it feel comfortable? We want it to make be comfortable. We don't want it to feel clinical. No, because um, then they might, you know, it's going to reduce their ability yeah. to heal and yeah. for the rehabilitation to take place. So that three and a half years could double, or they might end up there for the rest of their lives yeah, if they exactly. don't have the right environment and in which to recover. It, yeah, exactly. It, it, these all these things all make a difference. Yeah. in recovery and the opening up process environment know, is such a key factor massively in everyone's lives massively. I think and so yeah our hospital we know we have we have a full-size gym we have um, sports and fitness team yeah. that come and motivate patients because physical health is so important we have yeah, a tennis court mm. we have a greenhouse we have a field we do bike rides mm. uh, we do trips out into the community we do everything that we can we to make it feel like a safe space yeah you know particularly 
because people are coming from a prison. You yeah. know, we want it to be the complete opposite of that environment, mm. if possible, mm -hmm. to really help with recovery. Yeah. And a lot of mental health hospitals, no, I would say all of the mental hospitals that I've ever been to mm. have a very homely feel. Um, and that is something that we really try to yeah. get away from the asylum. Yeah, gosh, that image. I mean, yes. it's crazy that it's actually still out there, given how long ago the asylums existed. Well, or yeah. were they quite recent? Well, I, I suppose it depends. I mean, my hospital opened in the 80s. Okay. Um, and it took all the patients from the old asylum that was closed down. Right. Um, so I do have patients that mm. remember the old asylum. Wow. And the difference to them is mm. ridiculous. Yeah. You know, they, yeah. They can't it's like night and day. Night apart. and day. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, but they weren't conducive. No. To healing mm. because that wasn't their purpose. The asylums, their Just purpose to keep them, wasn't. Just cage people up, essentially, keep yeah. them away from society, not to rehabilitate. The opposite of exactly. what you guys are now doing. Yeah. And I think, surprisingly, that the consensus is today is that people think that when people have serious mental health problems and they're going to hospital, that's, that's almost like um, an elderly care home. That's, they're there till they, till they pass. Mm. And, you know, I always tell people, no, we. We get them back out in the community and mm. the peop majority of people are surprised mm. that, that that's a thing. And I said, you would be surprised how many of my patients live successfully in the community. Yeah, incredible. How many mental health hospitals are there in the UK? Do you know? I couldn't tell you. It's a battle at the minute in mm. the UK with so many being closed and right. trying to reopen again. There is such a shortage of nurses. It is becoming a battle with beds there is right, there's a massive right. deficit of beds for people yeah. um, who have mental mm. health problems and need, you know, intensive mm. support. And so I'm not sure which came first, whether there's <laughs> just more people that need yes. that sort of treatment yeah. and there's just not enough beds for the input or mm. if because the places cut are backs. cut backs. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe a bit of both. It probably is both. Yeah. It is probably both. You know, the government with their funding mm. at the minute the nhs is in a lot of debt right now right. um the national health service is in a lot of debt right now so yeah. the priority of opening more and more places is, is yeah it's is, just not there it's just not there unfortunately have you seen an increase in intake and certain types of mental health issues since covid no um ah. people ask me that all the time yeah um and <laughs> no. i always say and it's surprising but i mm. think that's because there, there is an increase. I would say there has been an increase in anxiety yeah, and depression. I thought you were going to say that. Yeah, because I've heard that. Yes. But in terms well. of schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, mm. I think the COVID process of being kept inside for some people maybe... It's actually quite good. ...was Help helpful yeah. um, in some cases, not in all cases, mm. for a lot mm. of... There was patients that... Unfortunately, at the time, so we were told to discharge the patients that could be out in the community mm. and um, keep the ones that need to be kept inside. And I think what yeah. happened there is that some people were discharged, probably ready to be discharged, but weren't ready to be discharged. Into that scenario into that of scenario. You know, tumbleweed and apocalyptic. Exactly. Now they've gone from an environment where yes. they're surrounded by so much support yeah, to, to restricted. Nothing. Yeah. Yes. yeah, and lockdown yeah. and all the isolation. Exactly. Mm. So we did deal with a lot of patients coming back. Yeah. Not a lot of patients, but there was a significant mm. amount of patients that... Mm would have had to come back into services for a period of time but they've gone back out again yeah. 
Oh, but I wouldn't say overall there was like yeah. a massive influx. Yeah, that's interesting. No, it's interesting what you say about the anxiety and depression as well, because I've heard that anecdotally, and then I've also mm-hmm. read about that. Yeah. So. Yes, I think COVID caused a lot of health anxiety for people. Okay, health anxiety. Um, interesting. And because the uncertainty of and the misinformation that was being spread. Mm. Um, well, no one knew what was going on. Quite no frankly, one. Right? No, so, no, of course not. Of so course everyone's not. like guessing. It was guesswork hoping for, for the best. a lot of people. And <laughs> the I, governments, I mean, what could they do? They, There's yes, just suddenly this it, thing that yeah, they all have to deal with. Absolutely. So I think that caused a lot of health anxiety for a lot mm. of people. Um, but I think it also caused a lot of paranoia mm-hmm. for, for a lot of people. But I think when I say paranoia, there's some people that have got a predispos- predisposition to be paranoid. Okay. And the people that were already probably the conspiracists right were already yeah going down going that down that rabbit road anyway, hole anyway yeah. yeah covid has exacerbated that for them yeah um yeah. and to be fair it's something that we dealt with in the hospital a lot of our patients didn't believe us uh they thought that it was a plot for oh, us to, to keep, you know, them, keep in. them in hospital we don't want them discharged wow. we want to keep them in there we're making money off them being oh, in there them. and you know that's we, frightening though imagine like thinking that and really believing yeah. that it must be frightening and you know we kept encouraging them speak to your families mm. ask them what's <clears throat> happening on the outside <clears throat> it's not we're not trying to keep you in here just find out from your families what is going on yeah yeah this you isn't know? like a made up yeah you know sort of real life life experiment this isn't the Truman show this is actually happening yeah. and if it is the Truman show then we're all in on it yeah exactly yeah, we're all involved yeah <laughs> Um, so we dealt with that a lot and I think because the inconsistency with the lockdowns in the UK of certain areas yes. being kept in lockdown. I mean I lived oh, in the area yeah, that stayed in the lockdown for the longest. Oh. Where I lived was the longest lockdown Ouch. continuously. Oh, I'm sorry. So <laughs> unfortunately in those situations it didn't bode well for our relationship with our patients because obviously they're like the world's opening up but you're keeping us in and mm. everyone else. So, but we we worked through it, and you know, in the end, I think a lot of our patients were quite grateful because they realised mm. that even kept though, them safe. yeah, yeah, but also they had a lot more than most people did. If you're stuck at home and you can't go out, you can go out for one hour's walk a day mm. in the UK. That's what it was at one point. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I think it was like that here as well. Yeah, at one point, yeah. You know, I'd say to our patients, but you have a music studio, you have yeah. a gym, you have a tennis court, you mm. have a football court. You can still go out and play with your friends. Yeah, you have each other. You have each other. Yeah your families can't see each other yeah that's right you know um so you know you do have a lot more than and i think once they started to realize Mm. that they had more than actually what some people had they Mm. they disappeared and yeah more grateful kind of made it a bit more manageable and tolerable for them yeah 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 but it was was just a difficult time i mean covid was a very difficult time managing Mm. unwell people with covid was hard challenge very hard (laughs) yes trying to keep people isolated was definitely challenging oh gosh yeah, yeah i'm sure like herding cats or something probably yeah it was it's just exhausting yeah um but you know we kept everyone safe yeah well done. so that's the most important that's thing. the most important yeah. thing right we're going to take another quick break and we will be right back so stay tuned in 2017 i experienced hurricane irma in the british virgin islands which was one of the strongest and most rapidly intensifying Atlantic hurricanes ever to make landfall. As a result of this experience, I developed post-traumatic stress disorder, from which I have since recovered. This whole experience had a profound effect on how I viewed life and my relationship to others. 
I realized that the most effective way in which I can help the largest number of people is through business and life coaching and through being a speaker. Speaking and coaching on topics such as mental health, climate change, workplace wellness, amongst many other topics. When the time was right, I decided to leave my legal practice as a barrister and litigation attorney and start a business as a coach and speaker. And so the Abundance Coach was born. Does your workplace or business need a bit of a shake-up? Are you thinking about your employees' well-being? Do you need help with team building? Perhaps communication within the team and with your clients has been something on your mind. If this sounds like it could be you, or you want some ideas on morning, lunchtime or afternoon sessions to run in the workplace, I am here to help you. Equally, if you want some one-on-one -on -one guidance on career development, spirituality and wellness, effective ways of managing your time or your stress, or you just want to shake things up a bit, I'm here to help you too. And finally, is your workplace, school, college, church, conference or other event looking for a speaker? Maybe you're keen to sit down with the speaker for your event and structure a talk together, making your event one of the most successful ones yet. If any of these sound like they could be you, then look no further. Reach out, get in touch. Go to my website, shuvradebmentor.com and send me a message. That's shuvradebmentor.com spelt S-H-U-V-R-A-D-E-B-M-E-N-T-O-R.com. Go check it out and you'll find some helpful free articles and resources on there. These are entirely free and available to you on demand. Go to shuvradebmentor.com. Check it out. Welcome back, everyone. I am here today with I.E. Harvey, and we have just been having the most amazing and informative discussion about mental health on the ground, what it's actually like being a mental health nurse and looking after people. Just um, moving away from the kind of the, the hospital side of it and the actual work that you do on a day to day. I mean, you're an expert in this and from your expertise, subject to what the mental health issue is, what are some of the preventative measures that people can take at home? So with physical health, for example, we go to the gym to maintain our fitness. What are some of the mental health things that we can all do to look after ourselves and ensure that we have healthy minds and, and brains? One thing I would say is what do you do to de-stress? So if you go to work, um, you've had a stressful day and you come home, you know, some people, they might pour a glass of wine and there's nothing wrong with pouring mm. a glass of wine. Mm. But if that's your coping mechanism and the only one you have, mm -hmm. when your level of stress increases, yeah. is your... It's pouring the whole bottle. It, exactly. And that's when it can become a problem. And that's when it can become a problem. So yeah. you need to find yourself a positive coping strategy as yeah. well. You know, some people like to go home and they say, you know, their thing is to watch true crime. That's great. But what are you putting mm. into your brain? That ne that's a lot of negativity. Yes. That's and coming. also we can end up binge watching that yes. when things get harder and the stress yeah. gets tougher yes so i always say a good a good way is having a good de-stressor mm. that removes you completely from work and even your personal family life mm. um meditation is great and meditation oh, is so different <laughs> for everyone yeah. i always say that like meditation isn't what everyone assumes it to be you know i have i've worked with people who their version of meditation is putting classical music on and coloring 
Yes. Coloring. Just yeah. it's something that you really don't need to focus too much on. It just takes you out of everything. You don't need to think about anything. And it just gives your brain a break mm-hmm. from the world, you know? Yeah. And I think that's really important, you know, mindfulness techniques. Any form of mind- mindfulness techniques. There's so many options for mindfulness techniques and I I implore people to go online and have a look and yeah. see what works for you. What are some of them? What are what are the top three for you? Um, grounding techniques are pretty good. You can So going for a walk. Going for a walk or use your imagination. Uh, mm. There's one technique that I find quite helpful when I feel maybe hypersensitive to the world. Yeah. I would say. Um, and I'll put on um, some nice flutes mm. and <laughs> I will imagine my safe space, mm. a beach, mm-hmm. and I talk, to my, talk myself through it. I walk onto a beach. I can feel the yeah. sand mm. on my feet. It's warm. It's grainy. What's the texture of the sand? Can I feel the heat on my skin? What's the color of the water? And just going through those processes when, when I feel like everything's too much and yeah. it just calms you right down. Um, I find that grounding technique really helpful in yeah. moments of stress for me personally. But I think people need to be more aware of what their coping strategies are. I don't think yeah. some people are aware of what they are. But surrounding yourself by things that are negative as well. I think we're very good, or bad, shall I say, <laughs> at maybe listening to the news like yeah after work and yeah. you're bombarded with a lot just, of negative yeah. stories that come yeah. come on the news and things like that and i think it's just being very aware or be protecting your space yeah. is important maybe setting a time limit on it by all means be aware by all means help as much as we yes. can with everything that's going on in the yes. world right now but don't go down the rabbit hole maybe no. just take 10 minutes in the day to see what's going on not and, and not when you're not when you're at a state of agitation. No, that's right, yeah. I think it's when yeah. is the best time to do these things. But like you said, yeah. eating healthy, you know, our brains, mm. you know, what are we putting into our bodies? It's, you know, I always say try and, try and get as much fish oil and vitamin D as possible. Yeah. Um, that's really good for brain function, fo- staying focused. Right. And so oily really fish. Helps. Oily fish is yeah. great. Omega-3 yeah. if you're not a fish person. Yes, the supplements. Yes, yeah. vitamin D. I mean, here in the Cayman Islands, yeah. that's you're never going to... That's the sun one, That's right? the yeah. sun one, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have a lot of that. Here. You have a lot of vitamin we're D so here. Lucky. Just, it's so lucky. <laughs> so I mean, lucky. in the UK, we're not so lucky. No. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, I advocate if you are in the UK and it's winter time, take a vitamin D supplement because yeah. you're not going to get the sunlight. No. What about daylight lamps? Do they work? I've never used one, but back in the UK, I was sort of thought about getting one and yeah. then never really got round to it. I think I think they do work to you know a degree. Yeah. Um, vitamin supplements again will work to a degree. To a degree, yeah. Um, it depends how you use it, um, but it helps. But even know. getting out in nature on a cloudy day. Absolutely. So I used to find this in the UK that even if it was cloudy, which it was a lot of the time, I'd go out for a walk either in the countryside or in my local park, and I'd still feel you know pretty good. It would make me feel better. Yeah. I mean, the sound of nature, Yeah, it, it's, it's very calming. And the fresh air. You yeah. do get really clean, crisp, fresh yeah, air in the absolutely, UK. Absolutely, absolutely. But I think it's about finding something that you can do and switch off. Yeah. Switch off, you know. You know I think some people... Some people struggle with that. I struggle, struggle with that a lot. The only time I can really switch off is even when I'm asleep, I dream about stuff. Mm. It's when I meditate. That's the only time I can really switch off. And it's so liberating. It is. 
yeah. Meditation is great. It is great. And I think having great sleep hygiene as well. Yeah. You know, what is your steps to going to bed? Do you fall asleep watching TV? Do you fall asleep on your phone? Yeah, both bad. Both very bad. How can we, you know, what can you do to change that? You know, Mm. decompress and read a book instead or listen to an audio book if you're not much of a reader. Yeah. Mm. Calm apps or calming apps that, you know, they can tell a story that really help you drift off into sleep that can be quite a positive one. Mm. It's not going to have anything that's really going to trigger you in your brain mm. um, or even just a simple sound of like a fire burning in the background. Oh, and this is the time of year. I yeah. go on YouTube. I only have Netflix and YouTube and I go on your log and that's on in my yeah. house most yeah. of the time. <laughs> great. Candles. Even here in the Caribbean. Yeah. <laughs> Smelling candles, you know, with really strong yeah. scents. Um, mm. Essential oils are great. Lavender is a good one for Lavender sleep. Lavender right? is very good. Mm. Um, uh, you have the diffusers now that yes. people use. Yeah. Um, but I would just say what whatever it is that's important, not important to you, but whatever it is that helps you remove yourself from the outside noise of the world. Yeah. You know, and I think sometimes people really need to sit down and think about what they have in their life that really gratitude. Yeah. yeah, I think people also need to put themselves first a bit more rather yes. than worrying about the email that's sitting yes. in the inbox or yeah. whatever project they're going to have to discuss mm. with their boss the next day. That's going to be there the next day. Mm. But in the hours before, put yourself first. Exactly. Have that downtime and get the proper sleep. And then by having had the proper sleep, the communication with the boss about the project is going to be much better and much more productive. Yes. And I think as well, some people, like you say, they're not kind to themselves in that put yourself first. Mm. If you're dealing with friendship dynamics, relationship dynamics, family dynamics, maybe you're the person that everyone always comes to, set a boundary. Yeah. That's very important to set that boundary and say, okay, mm. I'm going to dedicate this time to others. Yes. But I need this time for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I need that time for me. And I think that's a very yeah. important thing that we neglect to do sometimes is set time aside for us. I think some people work so hard that on their in their free time, they want to see their friends and they want to see their families, yeah. but you also need to find that time for yourself. That's so important. And I think that what happens is that we forget all these things or we're really good at doing these things for a period of time and then life gets in the way and then we find ourselves removing ourselves more and more and more from those grounding things. That from ourselves. From we ourselves. lose touch with yeah. ourselves. And then we get back and then we get periods of high stress. We think, why am I so why stressed am I stressed? Out? And yeah. you stop you stop taking care mm. of yourself and I'm, yeah so I get important. this if, unless I have I need me time I mean I'm an only child so that probably stems a lot from <laughs> that as well but if I do too much socializing I actually get really agitated I've got to just shut the door and yeah just be alone yes <laughs> I mean we have a thing called burnout um, yes. in nursing and it, um, oh yeah I mean that's a World Health Organization yeah. recognized thing now burnout, yes workplace yeah. burnout it's, yeah and so because your jobs are so demanding that yes. hours and yeah and you take on everyone else's feelings a lot. You, you carry that with you. Yeah. So you have to find a way to release it. So that was going to be one of my questions to you. How do you deal with that? Because you are dealing, you, are, you have to be so empathetic in mm. what you do. And as you say, you take on people's feelings and probably feel a sense of attachment to patients as well. I mean, not in a weird, yeah. unprofessional no, way, but in a professional, caring way. Yeah, of course, you want the best. Of course, exactly. Yeah. That's you know, what you do, what you're good at. So how do you then look after yourself? with all of that I mean it's very difficult I have to say and Mm. sometimes you 
have to rely on your colleagues to really say you need right sometimes it can get to a point where you might have to turn to one of your colleagues i think you need a break yeah i think you need a break going back to what we were saying before about work colleagues co-workers yes. recognizing that yes. in each other and not just in nursing in every industry in every industry mm-hmm. yeah i mean it is great it is helpful to work in an environment where everyone is so aware and caring <laughs> yeah. yeah and actually educated yeah. in mental health yes so but for me personally when i finish work i put on a podcast mm-hmm. nothing to do with mental health right yeah so don't listen nothing back to this to one then <laughs> <laughs> not not whilst i'm finishing work on a day right. off great i love mm. i love mental health i love looking into psychiatry and psychology but mm. straight after work i try and disassociate from it completely so i put mm. on a, a music podcast absolutely nothing to do with work i just yeah. need to listen to something that has nothing to do with what i've just experienced for mm-hmm. that day mm-hmm. And I, I take the drive home, I go home and I'll walk the dog, Aww. I'll go for a nice walk, mm. I'll run a bath and I'll just let go of yeah. everything. And I think that's really helpful. Um, I think a good way to, for me as well, is that I know when, I know that six weeks worth of work for me is, I need a break. Yes. I need a break. Yes, 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 so. yes. I'd forgotten this one. I had, um, when I was in practice, in legal practice in the UK, I had other colleagues telling me this, actually. Other barristers would say, yep, yeah, I can go for whatever period of time, and then I need a break. Yeah. And you need to be very aware, yes. I think, of your, your limits of how much uh, intensity you can deal with. Because it is mm. a, where I work is, is a very intense environment. Mm. So for me, six weeks and then I need a break. I need to do a long weekend away. Mm-hmm. I need to do something. Yeah. And so that's, that's, that's how I schedule myself. And I think wow. pre-planning is so important. Yes. Pre-planning is so important. I think when you know you work in a stressful environment, what are you doing on your days off to mm. really remove yourself? And that's what I like to do. So Every six weeks, I'll mm. plan a vacation. And get the kids involved in that too, because yeah. you know people with families yeah. get the kids involved in meditation practices, grounding practices, yeah. the long weekends if you know that's yeah. not a possibility. But if you think about the school system, yeah. uh, in the UK particularly, there's only so many weeks of school and then they have a break. They have, yeah, they do. You need a break. Yeah. You do need a break. Yeah. And I think that if we all plan our lives a bit, a bit more like that and then that will alleviate some of the build-up of stress you know I think yeah. sometimes we just get so caught up with work work mm-hmm. work work mm-hmm. that we forget that we're even entitled to a break I mean when I used to supervise yeah. people I used to say you know you've worked all year and you've not had any annual leave you've not Gosh. taken any vacation yeah, there are people who don't take their annual leave no. they and that makes you me have sad to, yeah that and really you have to really push it on people you need a break yeah. you know you need a break you're not going to win any awards for no just persevering no if you drop dead I'm sorry yeah. but you will get replaced the next day exactly or the following week at least you know they'll mourn your death for a while and then you'll be replaced that's the cold hard truth and you can't be your optimum self if you're not taking correct you you know sometimes you need to remove yourself and come back in to really make a difference yeah you know to come back better and more professional exactly refreshed (laughs) yeah and you see things differently sometimes so i think i find you know taking a break that's one big takeaway i would say to people well, that's brilliant i'm going to ask you about the ai thing oh yes. yeah okay so with you know the advent of ai it's kind of building every day probably every second you yes. know we're sat here and the computers are cleverer than us already and whatever else but 
with the use of AI, is that something that you guys are already doing in the NHS, in your practice? And what kind of changes do you foresee in the future that will help your practice or even hinder? Mm. So in my experience, we're not re there's no AI that I'm aware of. I mean, mm -hmm. we use algorithms, um, but not actually in relation to patient care. Okay. Um, we're using it more in relation to reports um, and scheduling, right. things like that. Um, it's hard. I think anything new yes. integrated into a system is hard. <laughs> I think that our thoughts on how AI could really help us with patients is our expectations are quite low. I think okay. to remove the personal side yes. of what we do would, I think, affect patients' outcomes. Yeah, really. negatively. Yeah. I, negatively, yeah. I think. Yeah. We work so hard to be personable with our patients to then bring in AI and mm -hmm. maybe have, say, AI diagnose people and, and do yeah. all of that, I think actually wouldn't serve our patients. It takes well. the heart away. It does, it yeah. does. And I think that once, when you work with individuals, sometimes they want to do better because you're trying so hard for them, yeah. you know, and it's that... It's connection. that connection that you have with another human being working together. I think once you then make it AI, I don't, I don't think that it's going to be as successful. Yeah. Um, I mean, it can help with things like typing up reports. I mean, that's yeah. pretty much voice technology, which we already have. But when it comes to the one-on-one -on -one care, yeah. the actual connection, as you say, the state of AI as it is now, and who knows, it may develop to be yeah. as able to mm. connect on a human level as humans are and that's a whole other world yeah. and a whole other discussion but until we're there yeah and I think it, it will help us in terms of monitoring side effects so mm. um, you know the system will be able to tell that this patient had this medication at 9.38 a.m. and two hours later it was recorded on the system that their heart rate increased and then it continued mm. to increase and it's a direct result of the medication yeah. okay so we need to look at this medication is this affecting their heart rate? Do we need to do anything? That's a risk yeah. that we need to be yeah. aware of. So AI in that sense That's a beautiful is, thing. is a beautiful life thing. Life-saving. Life-saving, because mm. we wouldn't be able to pick up on that. No, unless somebody's going in every two hours exactly. to check heart rate, yeah. blood pressure. Yeah. So in that sense, absolutely great. Mm. Fantastic. Mm. Um, but uh, in terms of the actual interaction with patients, I can't see it yet how it's going to be beneficial. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So watch the space, I yeah. guess. Uh, yes. <laughs> indeed. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, thank you so much. Oh, thank, thank you so you much so for appearing on my show me. after a random meeting in <laughs> Visage. That's it. Love Visage. Yes, Is that it was. What's called in Kemana Bay? Yeah. Love Visage, yes. There we go. Thank you, Love Visage, for yes. introducing us. <laughs> Check it out. It's a great store. It's a Beauty. great store. Free plug. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you so much for coming and thank you listeners for listening. <laughs> thank you for having me so much. My um, pleasure. And yeah, if you'd like me back, just let me know. I'm, I'll be on my way. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> thank you for listening. Bye for now. Tune in to Shubra Deb with you on demand and for free on Spotify, Apple, Google and other platforms. Please go ahead and follow, share and review my show. Thank you for listening. Bye for now. The Shuvradeb With You podcast is inspired and brought to you by Shuvradeb. Copyright Shuvradeb. <laughs>